You're listening to Policy, Guns and Money, the Aspie podcast with me, Olivia Nelson. Welcome back to our Sydney Dialogue Summit Sessions special podcast series. This short series features conversations had with leading government, industry and civil society voices on the sidelines of Aspie Sydney Dialogue. In today's episode, Dr. Jake Wallace speaks to Ambassador Baber Bratje. NATO's Assistant Secretary-General for Public Diplomacy. The conversation covers the role of NATO, the role critical technologies will play in strategic competition, and the tools and tactics that are being used by autocratic governments to challenge the existing rules-based order. Ambassador, thank you for being with us today. Uh, We're here to talk about the Sydney Dialogue and issues around critical technology, your, your own role at NATO, which I'm very intrigued by. But perhaps I thought I might just start by uh, talking a little about the region. The Indo-Pacific region has a young tech literate population. It contains a multiplicity of political systems, yet many rapidly growing economies. It produces almost 60% of global GDP and has a rising middle class. However, its security architecture is complex and the region will be the fulcrum of great power competition between the US and China. How does NATO view its relationship with the Indo-Pacific? Can NATO play a role in maintaining strategic balance in the region? Thank you very much for having me, and it's my first visit to Australia, so it's a, it's a real pleasure to be here. And it's also very, very useful to listen to the Sydney Dialogues, uh, to the discussion there on, as you say, critical technology, but also on uh, looking at the threat angle. Uh, so we heard the panel on space, which was great, and, and, and a few others. So the nexus of intelligence and information and security. So very, very enriching. For NATO, uh, obviously NATO is a regional political military alliance. So no, NATO is not coming to Indo-Pacific. Certainly not. But NATO has three main core tasks. One is collective defense, which means guaranteeing peace and security for its one billion citizens. Yeah? And, and here, of course, it's a combination of military and non-military instruments of power that NATO uses for that. So both making sure that there is sufficient military presence, that there's capabilities, readiness, command controls, that everything is in place for 30 countries of NATO. Today, 31 countries of NATO, Finland is joining today, that uh, they are all safe and secure. So it's a peace alliance in that respect. And we have guaranteed this peace and security for our allies for 74 years. It's NATO's birthday today, actually. Happy birthday, NATO. Thank you so much. So that is one of the core tasks. But of course, it depends on a variety of situations that is around uh, NATO's own territory. So also crisis management is very important task for NATO. So that's why, for example, the biggest NATO's operation currently is in Kosovo, KFOR. It's UN Security Council mandated operation. So there is quite a significant presence in KFOR from many nations, also non-NATO nations, such as Ireland. And what they do is they work together to make sure that there is no conflict. Yes, there might be crises, yes, there might be tensions, but they work together with with uh, both military and non-military structures to ensure that it doesn't develop into something more than the tensions that there is. And then the third big core task for NATO is to work with like-minded partners or less like-minded partners around the world 
to create those relationships that are beneficial both for the partner but also for the allies. And this is called cooperative security. And Indo-Pacific, in the Indo-Pacific, we have four important Asia-Pacific partners. Australia is one of them, but also New Zealand, Japan, and Korea, Republic of Korea. And with each of those partners, relationship is different because it depends what partner wants from the relationship with NATO. We have also other partners. We have partners in MENA region, so Middle East and North Africa. We have Colombia. We have Central Asian partners. We have partners in, in Moldova and Georgia. So it's, it's a combination of both what the partner wants, what the allies want, and that relationship is unique. So with Australia, we have the so-called Individually Tailored Partnership Program. And that defines that individual relationship, which is very much based on mutual security interests. Political dialogue, which lets us to understand each other better and understand the, the, you know, what is happening in the region here. It also provides for sharing information to understand the threats, because as we see, the threats in the world have changed. Russia, a nuclear power, has invaded an innocent neighbor. Despite having UN Charter, which clearly provides for territorial integrity, which was not the case earlier. In the 19th century, wars were, you know, predominant means of settling differences among countries. So that ended with the UN Charter. So we hadn't had that type of situation. So in the same time, we know that the whole set of what we call hybrid threats or non-conventional threats have developed in a, in a very visible and non-visible way. We see threats, uh, for example, we speak about Russia very much. Russia uses the combination of instruments, economic influence, financial influence, information influence, cyber operations that are often combined in a, in a way to undermine the security of, of a particular country uh, or to create preconditions to undermine that security. So, uh, again, those type of threats, countries have different perceptions, different knowledge. It's important to share that understanding. We have seen Ch Chinese cyber attacks. Allies have attributed Chinese cyber attacks against a number of allies. We know that Australia knows something about that. So obviously, allies are very interested to hear and understand what is the knowledge, what is the expertise, the analysis, and so on and so forth. So that is another area, the situational awareness, the, the overall understanding of challenges of, of what is that. Then, of course, uh, what can we do about it? How do we advance those common interests? Australia is a highly respected democracy, the, the sort of ideal member of international community, rules-based international order, respecting, uh, respecting international law and advancing active member of the UN, OECD, and other internationalizations. So what can allies work together with Australia on, on advancing certain issues? Climate and security, for example. How does security affect Australia? Can we learn something for our defense institutions and, and others? So there is that sort of not only the situational awareness part, but also that constructive engagement part. The same with, with understanding the region, as you mentioned. Asia-Pacific is such an important region, and it's important for global economy, it's important for allies, trade, stability of trade, trade routes, but also two of the most populous countries in the region, 
we all are interested in the stability that you have in Asia Pacific. We don't want, nobody wants Asia Pacific becoming an area of crisis or conflict. So obviously to advance that, engaging with each other, understanding each other and seeing how we can advance those joint interests is very important. But also what I've heard in these in these meetings today is that Australia is very resilient. So working together between the government, the private sector, the academia, the social organizations, the civil society, apparently works very well. And resilience is a big part also of NATO's agenda. How do we ensure that we are ready for crisis, that we can recover from shock if necessary, or from a cyber attack or from whatever, but that there are both the processes, the elements in it, but also the readiness element, the training element, the whole society element in it, that uh, allies want to know how, how Australia is doing that. And, and again, allies are interested to, to exchange information and, uh, and find whether there is commonality in that. So, Various. Of course, for NATO, important part is also engaging in the region because there is a lot of disinformation from Russia and China. And we have seen that China has become in the information sphere with regard to NATO. So I'm very clearly limiting this in the information environment. With regard to NATO, China has become a hostile actor to NATO, along with Russia enabling Russian hostile narratives, repeating, amplifying, doing their own anti-NATO lies, and that, of course, for us is not acceptable. So we would like, obviously, countries in the region to know the truth. Thank you, Ambassador. And today, as we mentioned, uh, we're here for the Sydney Dialogue, which explores international policy debates at the intersection of cyber and critical technologies. What role does NATO see emerging technologies playing in strategic competition? Technology. Again, technology by itself is an agnostic development. It depends on the objective, on the aim of using it, how it's used. So it's not only about technology itself. It's about actors who operate those technologies, how they are developed for which objective. So obviously it's important to understand that. It's important to understand the actors, important to understand the channels, the tech, the use, and so on and so forth. So we can't blame technology for being a bad technology, right? Because it's not going to be doing stuff by itself. So that's why, again, the understanding, whether we speak about hypersonics, whether we speak about space, whether we speak about quantum, whether we speak about autonomous systems, understanding or, or cyber, understanding what are we talking about and about how they are used is crucial. And then the responses, obviously, again, we have to look at the whole spec responses from regulation, whether regulation today is fit for purpose. Can we just prescribe how certain technologies are regulated or developed? Do we have to look at the outcomes? Do we have to agree about certain principles, whether we call them standards or responsible use? or whether we look at the effects. So it's a combination of everything that we look. So NATO has been quite clear that on the cyber side, that cyber defense policy clearly is that NATO has developed provides that cyberspace is always on. So the cyber defense has to be always on because the attacks are constant. 
cyberspace is constantly on. And that is why that capability, that defensive capability in, in cyberspace uh, among the allies has to be there. And those capabilities are very different. Not all allies are the same uh, place. And you will have seen that allies have uh, attributed certain attacks done against Albania to Iran. Uh, there have been others attributed to, to China, the, the Microsoft one. So, again, sharing that both understanding in real time, but also how to counter it and using the best capabilities that allies and partners have to bring that readiness and that sort of lowest common denominator becoming the highest common denominator for cyber defense is, is crucial. Then, of course, on information attacks, very often they are cyber-enabled. The hostile attacks, we look also when speaking about hostile information attacks, we speak about intent. We look at the intent because usually those are combined operations done with a certain intent where the information is used for a particular purpose, very often uh, through cyber means. And then you have to decide what is the best response, you know. Whether you go it out, whether you ask in a local level to be identified and attributed, how do you get it to the right people at the right time? So it's a combination of of actions that need to be enabled. So that's why the the dialogue, the Sydney dialogue on these critical technologies is so crucially important. But tech tech is good. I mean tech has enabled quite a number of things. But again, to be on the top side of the tech we need to clearly identify that we have had that advantage in our societies and we have to create preconditions to be able to maintain that tech advantage. When we look at today's tech, you know, whether that's space tech, whether that's social media platforms, whether that's, you know, computers, anything else, it has been very much a, you know, our societies created and developed technology, innovation say very often in the private sector most of it in private sector today a bit earlier it was different so to maintain that yes democracies are the best way in my view because that is where you have that freedom that ability to innovate you have that uh, unrestricted space for collaboration without authoritarian systems telling you what to do or what not to do so investing in security making sure that security defense is there, which guarantees prosperity, which guarantees that freedom for innovation, which guarantees that ability for the private companies to continue to, to innovate. It's important that the big uh, private sector companies understand that, that they depend on that security and defense that guarantees it. And then again, collectively, I think, as the collective rules-based international system, we can be quite certain that we will be able to maintain that tech advantage that we have had. Ambassador, you talked um, about the international rules-based system. Adversaries of that, of the current international order are willing to deceive and to do so at scale using disinformation, propaganda and other forms of corrosive subversion. Does this afford an asymmetric advantage to NATO's strategic competitors? Hmm. The short answer is no, I don't think so, because I haven't seen 
many private sector companies or people willing to migrate to Russia or other autocratic systems. So I think that's pretty clear answer to where where is the attraction and where is the sort of perspective of the humankind is. But from the other hand, we have to be very clear that there are authoritarian actors, whether it's Russia or, or others, who want to undermine our way of life, who want to undermine. And again, and I'm speaking our way of life in a very generic way, because we have countries who are perfect democracies, who are okay democracies, who are less okay democracies. But they are still very much countries that respect rules-based international orders. They, I mean, they don't threaten their neighbors, they don't violate borders, and so on and so forth. So, and they might not be perfect in terms of their internal election systems over there. So, and I think that has to be quite clear that as far as we look at our businesses, at our tech companies, at our, you know, ability to live life that is that is uh, predictable where our children grandchildren can get their education and continue innovating and creating businesses or doing art or whatever they want to do that security security very much is the basis of of that for them and yes there will be hostile actors yes there will be actors who will try to undermine our societies by all means and at we just have to be ready to to both understand, but also to counteract. And and by counteracting, I mean you have to choose whether you are proactively calling it out, whether you are proactively using uh, certain offensive cyber capabilities to prevent certain actions, whether you, if necessary, are doing more on the kinetic side, making sure that there is no miscalculation if somebody thinks that your defenses might be weaker. So to make sure that there is a very clear, visible, uh, also intention to detail defend. So depends on the situation, depends on the uh, uh, region, depends on on the nature of threat. But quite clearly, there is the threat landscape has changed, and we see that it's it's just reality. The the world we live in. How does that complex landscape impact you in your own role as Assistant Secretary General at NATO? It's obviously a public-facing role. Your focus is on public diplomacy. In part, I'm interested in how NATO conceptualizes um, what we might describe as competition in the information domain. Is this a space of military or public diplomacy or or a combination of both? Mm. Mm. So for us at NATO, again, it's it's a very particular task that NATO has. Collective defense, crisis management, cooperative security. And also cooperative security is meant to enhance that security of the allies and partners. So it's not for humanitarian purposes per se, but it's really for that peace and security missions that we have as the alliance. So information in that respect is both instrument of power it's a civil military instrument of power. So if we need to do deterrence, if we need to show that NATO is strong, united, and, and that we mean it, we communicate about it. So we achieve that outcome, that effect, through actions, through images, through visuals, through words, sounds, and so on and so forth. So quite clearly, as as instrument of power, it's there. And that's how we perceive it for collective defense mission or crisis management. But in the same time, of course, our mission is also to make sure that the alliance is supported 
by its, by its citizens. So we do a lot of engagement in our audiences. We do a lot of polling of our audiences, and you can see it on, on NATO's website. NATO is very much in the global spotlight. Citizens from allied countries from all around the world search information about NATO. We have seen a huge growth in interest uh, also from world's media, social media, and, and everything around it. And we try to respond. We are truthful, so we don't spin. We tell our story proactively and making sure that uh, both key opinion formers, but also citizens, or just ordinary citizens who want to know more, can know more. We support quite a lot of NGOs and think tanks who are interested in security defense. So um, debates, experimentation on, on training, countering disinformation games, countering cyber threats. So we provide certain grants that if the civil society wants to learn more or do more, um, etc. We have excellent journalists that are quality media is like critical infrastructure. That's how I see it. It's, it's important to have those independent sources who can analyze, criticize, research, be agenda setters, guard dogs, whatever way we want to see them. But they, there are these sources that are relied upon, that are trusted, and that exist. So we work a lot with world's media, with, as I said, think tankers, key opinion formers, uh, those people who, who literally tell the story, and who are often more trusted, let's say, than certain members of all governments, <laughs> because, again, they are independent. So they do their own research, and you know, they draw their own conclusions, and then they tell that story. So we ensure that if they want information from us or if we have something to give to explain how NATO is changing, that we provide that to them. So this more proactive type of engagement, the digital engagement, because most of the people in the world will know NATO as a digital NATO. They will not have met necessarily someone from NATO or they will not have been on an aircraft carrier or F-16. But that they know that there is this collective organization collaborating, you know, among 31 nations between civil and military structures to make sure that the best of knowledge, best of expertise, both civil and military, and, and that commitment is there to guard that security of, of our citizens. And that's why when I see that more than 70% of allied citizens support NATO, I think it's a, it's a pretty good number. It's a pretty good outcome from what we do. And yes, that is part of my role as Assistant Secretary General for Public Diplomacy. Well, Ambassador, we're, we're very grateful to you for sharing your thoughts with us today. And you're, you're very welcome here in Sydney. We're glad to have you at the Sydney Dialogue and, and very much hope that you enjoy the rest of your time in Australia. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you and thanks for your interest. And ASPI is a great think tank, so I look forward working with you. Thank you. That's all we have time for on policy, guns and money. We'll be back with another episode soon. Thanks for listening.